welcome to Atari Bytes, the show where we take a bite out of the story within a classic Atari 2600 game and see if that story bites us back. My name is Bill. This is episode 206. Thanks for listening. And I'm not alone this week. Who's here with me? The Twelfth Doctor. Well, not exactly. You might have regenerated, I guess. Yay! Uh, all you Doctor Who fans will know what we're talking about. But of course, it's not the Twelfth Doctor. It's Henry. Hi, Henry. My name is Bob. Oh, uh, that's right. He has a... Uh, he has a stage name yeah. of Bob. Yeah, Bob the Builder. Uh, I the, build buildings. Around the house, I usually call him Henry. Yeah. So, this episode is coming out the uh, first Sunday in January, 2020. We just Woo-hoo! made it through. We're half, you know, half a week into the new year. How's it going so far, Henry? Eh. Eh. No more day off for school. No more days off for school, yeah. By no, the time I said normal. This um this episode comes out the day before you go back to school. So oh. Yeah. <laughs> you're already even though it hasn't happened yet for you, you're already kinda bummed, aren't you? Yeah. Uh how was Christmas, Henry? Cool. Cool. And it was warm. And it hasn't happened yet, so just pretend how New Year's was. How was New Year's? He's thinking. A big giant bomb pole. In New York City. Oh, a big giant ball on a pole. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it fell to the ground. And it fell to the ground. We can hope. And we're hoping it didn't explode into a fiery, you know, massive destruction. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Speaking of fiery masses of destruction. Gonna prove that the world is flat in his rocket ship. Or else he'll go splat. He's mad, Mac Hughes. Interesting. Rocket Man the movie has been pretty quiet over there on Twitter. Nothing since December 18th. That was when uh, Michael DeGroot illustrated Mad Mike riding the Flat Earth rocket. I talked about that on the last episode, I think. You did? Or maybe the episode before that. So I'm going to guess there's nothing on the Facebook page either, but we'll take a look. I guess even... uh, Flat Earthers have to take a little time off. How do you think Santa handled the flat fact that, uh, according to some people, the Earth is flat, Henry? What? How do, you, how do you think Santa handled the fact that the Earth is flat, according to some people? Same. Doesn't affect him. Why doesn't it affect Santa? Because he's it, it, if the Earth is actually flat, it would be kind of easier for Santa because he just because he wouldn't get as he would he wouldn't get. He wouldn't get ass seasick going around the street. <laughs> so you think um, flat earthness is a cure for seasickness or, or air sickness? For Santa, because he has to fly all around the world. Well, that's true. All right, so I guess in a way we kind of hope the earth is flat because we don't want Santa to get airsick. We don't want Santa barf falling on people as they're yeah. you know dreaming of you know visions of sugar plums and all that we don't want it to be visions of uh barf chunks yeah yeah so now i'm conflicted because i don't believe in the flat earth but i want santa to be healthy so life is hard sometimes the flat earth community rocket launch on gofundme has eight thousand four hundred ninety six dollars in the bank they surpassed their goal a while ago what was the goal Seven thousand eight hundred and seventy-five. How much do they have now? Eight thousand four hundred ninety-six. So they have done fine. Wait, is that to put a new rocket? Let's see. We were contacted recently. I'm reading their description on the GoFundMe page. We were contacted recently by a gentleman named Mad Mike Hughes. Not only is Mad Mike a daredevil, but he's also a flat earther who ran across our billboard while watching Flat Earth Media. Mad Mike's main stunt is loading himself into a rocket and firing it from a rocket launcher. The rocket then deploys a parachute and he makes his landing. In his email, he informed us he would be performing his next stunt at the end of July. 20? No, I think this was 2017. Looks like maybe that's when they created this GoFundMe. Wait, anyway, he has a YouTube channel? Skipping ahead. Don't know that he has a YouTube channel. So, skipping ahead. So, this society wants to help make it possible for Mad Mike to put Research Flat Earth on the side of his mobile rocket launcher, which, as I think we've talked about before, he has done. Uh, and they want $7,500 to do this. What? I don't know what they're doing with the extra money. Wouldn't it be easier to just strap, like, a camera that you can 
Or you can take a picture remotely to the rocket. Well, then... it probably would, but I think guys like Mad Mike want the extra touch of being the ones to, yeah, you know, be brave and... And, uh, and it's also a possibility of death. I think that's the that's what's exciting for people like that. And exciting. And it also draws more attention. You're more you're more likely to pay attention if some dude straps himself to a rocket than if some dude just launches a rocket. Wouldn't up it be in the dangerous air. if you're launching a rocket from the back of your RV? Um, yeah. I think that was part of the problem with the last launch that failed couldn't, actually. Couldn't it blow your RV away into smoothing like pieces? I would think that is possible. But I don't know. I don't know exactly, but I'm pretty sure Zarfi was probably fine. Maybe. I mean, I think this whole enterprise is goofy, but you know, at the same time, I don't know how to build a rocket and launch it, so I, I give he kudos for that. Probably had help. He does. Every once in a while, he talks about his team that's helping him, and you know, not to take away from the skill that's required to do that, it is sort of a goofy thing all you know overall. A quick Google search of Mad Mike Hughes is not revealing any new news. I guess they really did take the holidays off. Maybe we'll, maybe 2020 is finally the t- er, the year that we will find out that the Earth is flat or not. I want to see mind-blowing proof that the Earth is flat to, to make me believe. All right, Mad Mike. Henry's- I don't want I don't want to see Photoshop pictures. I don't want to see drawing. I don't want to see pictures of drawing. I want to see I want to see true evidence that's mind-blowingly proving those is flat or else I'm not believing. All right, so Mad- get your homework done. All right, Mad Mac, you're being called out by Mad a 10-year-old. Mad Mac. Mad Mike, you're being called out by a 10-year-old. Uh, he wants mind-blowing proof. The gauntlet has been thrown down. Gonna prove that the world is flat in his rocket ship or else he'll go splat. He's Mad Mike Hughes. Mad Mike a little bit of self-promotion, because I never do that. What's that? Uh, I'm going to talk about a thing that I created that I want people to read. Oh. So every year, at the end of the year, I write a year in review. And I've done this for I don't know how many years. And I always write it in the story of Goodnight Moon, a classic children's I've, story. I've, been, I've seen you watch it. Yeah. Uh, make it. Yeah. So I did that again. It's over there on the blog, which I don't write very much for anymore but you blog uh not very much and not anymore you vlog and it's williamallenpepper.wordpress.com i'll try to put a link in the show notes go check it out all the past years that i've done are over there too uh it's a bunch of years i didn't go back and look to see how many but i've done it for a long time it's just kind of fun since we'll you were born maybe not quite since i was born you, the day the, the day you were born you the day you were born, Grandma and Grandpa got you a laptop. Once, oh, the, the after, five minutes after you went, got home from the hospital from just, from just being born, you got a laptop. Um, not quite. I'm going to blow your mind, Henry, speaking what? of mind-blowing. When I was a kid, yeah. even when I was your age, people didn't always have computers in their homes. What? I know. Crazy, no huh? No way. And nobody had a lop- laptop. No way. Yeah, nobody had a laptop. Did they have computers back then? Well, they had computers, but not many people had them in their homes, except maybe, well, by the time I was your age. My mind is completely soup. I mean, by the time I was your age, they were starting to do that. My mind is soup. But they certainly didn't have laptops, and I'm sorry that I I souped your mind. Yeah, you could drink, you could eat my soup with some noodles and some chicken (laughs) with a soup spoon, and it would taste like chicken noodle soup. Your mind soup? Yeah. Ew, that's kind of gross, Henry. But, Actually, but I would be very dead, creative. But I'm not. De- so, but I'm not dead. So I think. Well, I'm glad. You you want something else that that's mind blowing, Henry? Maybe. I read an article recently about a thing that I've heard about before. See, how can I explain this? There is a theory. Yeah. That computers are becoming so powerful. Yeah. That someday they will be even more powerful. That Robots. Well, yeah, that's one thing too. But this is yeah. One. I've already, I think I already heard that story. So, some, 
Uh, some people think that someday the world will be taken over by robots. Well, yes, that is a theory too, but that's not what I was going to talk about. Um, there is a, a theory that's growing that people are starting to buy into more that says someday computers will be so powerful that, yeah. that people can create simulations of real life and that it will, be so, it will be so easy to do that and so common that statistically there's a pretty good chance you and I right now yeah. are living in a computer simulation, that none of this is real, and maybe we aren't even real. <gasps> I know. Talk about mind soup. So there's a new book out, not to plug this guy's book, that I'm, I I'm, read not, that book. I'm not getting any credit for, not getting any, not getting paid for, but it's a book I want to read. It's called uh, The Simulation Hypothesis by Rizwan Virk. Uh, yeah. Um, and that's basically what the book is about, that more and more people are thinking about this and realizing that someday it's going to be so easy. We, you know, we're starting to get virtual reality games and stuff, and someday it'll be so easy to create that kind of stuff and so realistic that there's a pretty good chance that we're, that all of us right now are just part of that, some computer simulation from the future. I need to go get something. All right. Henry's going to go to the spoon to lap up his mind soup. While he's doing that, I think it's time to talk about this week's game. This week's game is... Hey! What's your pipsqueak brother doing in our fun club? I don't know. Playing my Atari game. Huh? Atari presents our new Walt Disney video game cartridge, The Sorcerer's Apprentice with Mickey Mouse. Mickey's got to zap the meteors so it can stop the magical boom from flooding everything. Let me see that. Wait your turn, Pipsqueak. <laughs> the Sorcerer's Apprentice video game cartridge from Atari. Video game console sold separately and hooked up by an adult. Sorcerer's Apprentice from Atari, 1983. I'm pretty excited to do this one because, one, it's Mickey Mouse, for goodness sakes, and two, this is one of the few that I happen to have the cartridge, the manual, and the box. The box is in decent shape. It's not perfect shape, which is why I didn't feel bad taking the game out of the box. Uh, actually, I, now that I think about it, I don't think even when I got it, I'm I don't bad. think it was sealed. I think it was open. That um, was one. And it's in decent shape. So it's one of the few that I have all three. So that's pretty cool. I got my wizard wand. I'm ready for the game. Henry's got his wizard wand. I'm Harry Potter. I just, while you were gone, I told them the game that we're playing is Sorcerer's Apprentice. Mm. It's Mickey Mouse. It has Mickey Mouse in it, guys. For all you four- and five-year-olds out there, there's Mickey Mouse. The original Sorcerer's Apprentice was a 1797 poem by Johann Wolfgang von Goethe. There were also a number of books afterwards with that same title. The Sorcerer's Apprentice also was a segment of the 1940 Disney animated film Fantasia, using the music by Dukas and the story from Goethe's poem. It was a 1955 short film a 2002 film from South Africa, a 2010 John Turtletub film Turtle and video Tub. game. Burst on it, that's his name. <laughs> uh, a children's television series, a 1962 episode of the Alfred Hitchcock, uh, Alfred Hitchcock Presents, and a 1977 animated film by uh, Carol Zernan. Hello. And, of course, The Sorcerer's Apprentice, Atari 2600 game, based on a segment of the 1940 Fantasia film. There's also a 2010 video game called The Sorcerer's Apprentice, based on the on the film. Fan Fantasia was a 1940 American animated film produced by Walt Disney, released by Walt Disney Productions, directed by Joe Grant and Dick Humer, and produced by Ben Sharpstein, the third Disney animated feature film. It consists of eight animated segments set to the pieces set to pieces of classical music conducted by Leopold Stokowski, seven of which are performed by the Philadelphia Orchestra. Music critic and composer Dennis Taylor acts as the film's master of ceremonies, providing a live-action introduction to each animated segment. Animation? Mm-hmm. It's an animated film. Oh, what? Cartoon. Oh, Mickey Mouse? Uh, Mickey is in one of the segments. Disney, Disney settled on the film's concept as work near completion on The Sorcerer's Apprentice, an elaborate silly symphony's short designed as a comeback role for Mickey Mouse, who had declined in popularity. Oh, and like I mentioned, coincidentally... I'm wearing my Mickey Mouse pajama pants. Wait, didn't you get those for Christmas? I did. From Santa on Christmas Eve? I did. Church? They were my Christmas Eve uh, Santa pants. 
I got um, Star Wars. And by coincidence, yeah, you got some cool Star Wars pants. Speaking about Star Wars, we I, went okay. to we went to see a new Star Wars Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, I don't think I mentioned that last episode, but we did. We saw Rise of Skywalker. It was good. We're, we have a huge tangent here. Uh, yeah, we both liked it. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's safe to say. We're not going to give any spoilers. No, nope. if there's still anyone out there who hasn't seen it yet, because you're holding out for the crowds to thin out or something, we, we're not going to spoil was, anything. But it was, it was actually there was there wasn't actually as much people there as I expected. No, it wasn't too bad. Yeah. When we were because there. it wasn't the big, but because uh, it wasn't the first viewing. We went out the yeah, but it was still the first Saturday. Yeah. But we went during the day. That probably yeah. helped. Yeah. What do you mean? So, that probably helped during. The day. Nah, you know, maybe more people oh, went yeah, to the movie because Saturday night. like work and stuff. Yeah. So. To wrap up that huge tangent, uh, we like Star Wars Rise of Skywalker. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. You should see it. I recommend it. Five stars. Five stars. All right. So Fantasia was made. The budget grew really high. Disney decided to include the short in a the Mickey Mouse short in a feature length film, with other segments set to classical pieces. Originally, it was going to be just a, a Mickey Mouse film. And then they decided to make it a, a one of several sounds. Like some of your plays. Yeah. The soundtrack was recorded using multiple audio channels and reproduced with Fantasound, a pioneering sound reproduction system that made Fantasia the first commercial film shown in stereophonic sound. What does that mean, uh, stereophonic sound? I'm not an expert on this, but I think it basically just means, like, it sounds like it's coming from all around you. Like a surround sound? Yeah, I, I th- and again, I'm not an expert. I want to get a surround sound I think that's basically board. what it is. I want to get a soundboard so I can watch um, my... So when the movie came out, uh, critics liked it, but it was hard to make any money because it was, this was World War II, and distribution to the European market was cut off. What a, what a critic? What does critics mean? People who watch the movies and then write what they think about them, so that people like, can. People who like every movie they watch, they have every they are they rate every movie like they literally rate every movie they watch. Well, that's kind of their job. And they, then people who trust their opinions so you can, hire, can decide whether so they, they liked it or not. You can have a job interview to be a critic? Uh, sure. There's little companies about that hire critics? Well, like newspapers might have someone who, who writes articles for them or that, podcasts. Like, or like, uh, like for some people, like for the newspapers... They have sir, they have certain people that watch that watch movies to read to like sure magazines podcasts newspapers uh, lots of places there was some ma- there were mag there's mag there's magazines at, there's magazines at Michael's about Star Wars Rise of Sky, Skywalker it's true yeah the film was reissued multiple times I guess trying to make their money back. But you have to spend money to make movies that you just get money. Well, yeah, but then you gotta pay pay people back for giving you money to make the movie. Oh, Oh, like a loan? Yeah. Uh, Fantasia is the 23rd highest grossing film of all time in the United States, adjusted for inflation. The Fantasia franchise has grown to include video games, uh, which we know because we're playing one of them, Disneyland attractions, and a live concert. I want to go to Disneyland and Disneyland. Me too. Disneyland. Uh, if you want to sponsor the podcast and uh, have you pay ever to had a sponsor there, before? I am open to customers if anyone wants you to do that. You should sponsor Michaels. A sequel, Fantasia 2000, co-produced by Roy E. Disney, was released in 1999. The Fantasia has grown in reputation over the years and is now widely acclaimed. In 1998, the American Film Institute ranked it as the 58th greatest American film in their 100 years, 100 movies, and the fifth greatest animated film in their top 10 list. So what made the top ten? Of this one particular list, yep. Do you know what place the top ten are made? The American Film Institute, which if you get on their top ten list, that's a big deal. And the animated film on their ten, top ten. There. Yes. So like, it was number ten? Yep. Oh. Well, it was number five oh. on, their number, on their top ten list. How do you know? Because it says that right here. Fifth greatest animated film on their oh. top ten list. Fantasia opens with live-action scenes of members of an orchestra gathering against a blue background and turning their instruments in half light, tuning their instruments in half light, half shadow. Should we be giving spoilers? It's okay. 
Oh, okay. It's an old movie. I still want to see it. As I said, there's a Master of Ceremonies who's li- this is all live action. They introduce the piece of music and the film that goes with it, and then the films are animated. One of which, again, is The Sorcerer's Apprentice. The Sorcerer's Apprentice is, all, is based off of an animation movie. The Sorcerer's Apprentice is an animated movie. But based, on, based on an old poem called The Sorcerer's Apprentice. IMDb gives Fantasia 7.8 out of 10 stars. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. I thought it was 7.8 out of 5 stars. That would have been really good. For anyone who doesn't know... Mickey Mouse is a cartoon character in the mascot of the Walt Disney Company, created by Walt Disney and Oob Iwerks at the Walt Disney Studios in 1928. An anthropomorphic mouse who typically wears red shorts, large yellow shoes, and white gloves, Mickey's one of the world's most recognizable characters. And he's a mouse. And he's a mouse. Hence his name, Mickey Mouse. M-I-C-K-E-Y-M-O-U-S-E. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's not copyright. The Wikipedia page for Mickey Mouse lists Mickey's occupation as detective. What is that? And then in parentheses says M.M. Mickey Mouse Mystery Magazine. All right. And he has a doggy named Pluto. And Minnie Mouse is his significant other. Mickey replaced a prior Disney character, Oswald the Lucky Rabbit, and first appeared in Plane Crazy, debuting publicly in the short film Steamboat Willie in 1928, one of the first sound cartoons. There you go. I'm pretty sure that was still black and white. Yes, it was. Okay, now we're ready. I got my my wand ready. We're getting there. we got to tell them how to play the game first. Okay, so with that background... In 1983, Atari made the Sorcerer's Apprentice 2600 game. I have a few spells up my sleeve. So how do we do this? Uh, well, first we turn on the console. I know Obviously. that. I know that because it's the very first direction in the inst- instruction manual. It says no. Always turn on your console power switch. Uh, when uh, when turning or moving Atari game program cartridge. It's so. This will protect the electronic component and, pro- and prolong the life of your Atari video game console, Atari video computer system game. Gameplay. The object of Sorcerer's, of Sorcerer's Apprentice is to help Mickey prevent the cabin from flooding by stopping the falling stars and turning that uh, turning into booms. To do this, he must catch stars with sorcerers with the sorcerer's magic hat that Mickey is wearing before they fall between the mountain pinks. Hit stars with Mickey's magic fireballs. Create empty buckets by hitting meteors with fireballs. Go into the cavern and stop the booms from reaching the cavern floor. You can play Sorcerer's Apprentice in a mountain scene and the cavern scene. Or you can move Mickey back and forth between both scenes to play one magical game. When the cavern is flooded, the game is over. You score points for catching stars, hitting stars, and in, in meteors, and stopping the booms in the cavern. There are four game speeds. Game four, the slowest, the slowest is good for young children, like me. So yeah, so there's the mountains, there's the passage, there's the cavern. Uh, we're using the left joystick controller. Mickey runs in the direction you move your joystick. Obviously. Obviously. The faster you run him off the screen, the faster he will run through the passageway. To catch the stars, you center Mickey under a falling star. If the star lands safely in the magic hat, you hear the bell tone. To throw fireballs, you press the red controller button. Then you use your joystick to guide the fireball through the sky. To stop a brooms, run Mickey directly in front of a broom. He must cover the broom completely for it to stop. When a broom is stopped, you will hear a swoosh sound, and the broom will disappear. Uh, press game select, obviously, to select the game you want to play. As we noted earlier, what, number four was the easiest, right? Yeah, young, for young children. Yeah, use the left difficulty switch to adjust Mickey's throwing ability. In position A, Mickey throws one fireball each time you press the red button. In position B, Mickey throws fireballs continuously until the red button, or when the red button is held down. The TV type switch is not used in this game. Your score, you score by hitting stars and meteors with fireballs, by catching stars with Mickey's magic hat, and by stopping brooms. The point value of a star varies with its different stages. A bursting star may be worth 50, 30 to 80 points, depending on exactly when it is hit. Basically, point values range from 6 points to, for catching a star up to 60 points for hitting a dropped star, a dropping star in the third stage. There are four game variations, slow, medium, supersonic, and beginner. 
The game now appears at the bottom of the screen. In all games, the speed of the game will increase as you play. Helpful hints. Remember that Sorcerer's Apprentice can be played three different ways. In the mountains, in the cavern, and in both places. Use the sound guide to help you learn the different game sounds. Sounds are especially helpful in the mountain scene because they let you know what is happening in the cavern. There's a bell tone when you hit or catch a star. Four rising notes when you hit a meteor, creating two empty buckets. A swoosh sound when a broom is created or stopped. And the Sorcerer's Apprentice tune when the water level changes. Uh, we already said young children should start with game four. In the mountains. In the mountains. Um, try to score as many points as you can. Listen to sounds when you hit or catch stars. Uh, in the cavern, try placing Mickey on different parts of the staircase. Find a place where you can stop the most brooms. Don't get too close to the sides of the staircase. You could easily fall off and end up back in the mountains. What happens in the mountains affects what happens in the cavern. The key to playing in both places is knowing where to be at the right time. For example, run into cavern to the cavern to stop rooms when you see the water level getting too high. Likewise, if you run out of empty buckets in the cavern, return to the mountains to get more. On the back of the manual, there's... I think, that, I think that's the front. Or the, I just really... Yeah, you're right. It's really the front. There's a big picture of Mickey uh, with the brooms carrying buckets of water and a, the story of the magic hat. Kind of cute. Uh, I'm not going to read the whole story, but it's a little story about basically the plot of the game. So that's kind of neat. They stole my thunder making up stories. Um, so that is how you play... The Sorcerer's Apprentice. I don't remember if I told you this, but this is going to be a, di a this episode is going to be a little different. Sure, we can tell them that now. So here's what's go what's going to happen. Uh, here's a little peek behind the curtain. Not that it's really a surprise. I've mentioned this before. Usually, the field report that you hear after we talked about how to play the game and what the reviews for the game were, that re field report is pretty much always recorded first before we do anything else for the show. So when I'm telling you, or if Henry's here, when we're telling you how to play the game, uh, we've already played it. But this time, well, Henry this wanted time to... this time it's different. Yeah, so what are we doing? I wanted, the, for the first ever time, for we've never played this game before, for, but for the first time, we're playing it for a podcast. Yep. The first time ever. The only time I've ever had this cartridge in the Atari 2600 was probably the first time that I, when I got the game, just to make sure that it actually worked. And I'm not sure I even did it then. So, yeah, you're going to be hearing us play this game literally for the first time. And so, we're also going to be talking. Yes. That's what we decided to do. Yep. Real quick, I'll just mention Atari Protoss reviewed Sorcerer's Apprentice, noting that it was one of the games created out of the licensing deal with Disney, obviously. He mentions the other games were Snow White, Donald Duck's Speed Boat Race, and Dumbo's Flying Circus. Ooh, I want to play those. Well, you can't, because none of those were actually produced. What? Not, not actually released. What a ripoff. <laughs> I'm suing. Atari I'm made Sorcerer's off. Apprentice part of its children's lineup with games based on characters from Sesame Street, Peanuts, Muppets, and Garfield. These games were designed to teach children hand-eye coordination while entertaining them with semi-educational gameplay. There is a Peanuts game. I went looking for that, but it also was never released, so can't play that one either. This reviewer thought that the game concept for Sorcerer's Apprentice wasn't bad, but the gameplay is way too easy, even for a children's game. Younger children might find it amusing for a short period of time, but older kids quickly grow bored running Mickey up and down the ladder all day. The theme is nice, nicely done and makes the game almost worth playing, just to hear it, almost. Really, a version of this game has turned up... Re recently, a version of the game has turned up with slightly different music, but since this version was in a production cart, we can only assume that a change was made in mid-production for reasons unknown. Should well, we put it in? You know what? I think we should. So, after the break, we put the Sorcerer's Apprentice brooms to work trying to clean up the pile of junk that is this show. We're not holding out high hopes for success. This is Michael, one of the hosts of the Atari XEGS Cart by Cart podcast. Do you like Atari? Of course you do. What about the 8-bit computer line? It was one of the best. Well, how about you consider joining Bill, David, Kieran, and myself as we review the cartridge-based games for Atari's 8-bit computer line. We also review budget games which were mostly released only in the UK. But that's not all. We also dig up game history, share personal experiences, and perform questionable comedy. 
You'll get all of that and for free just by listening to us on either iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Player FM, or from our website at xegs8bit.com. That's xegs, the number 8, bit.com. And when you're done listening, please send us your hate mail because we really need the feedback so we know someone is tuning in. Okay, here we go. We're going to do it live, as they say. Henry is putting the far... we got to turn it on. Far left. This one, is it? There it is. We have the title screen, Sorcerer's Apprentice. Got Mickey Mouse on the screen, 1983 Disney, 1983 Atari. It's kind of fuzzy. It's kind of pixely fuzzy. It's an old game, dude. Yeah. Do you want to... Do you want to try game four? Copyrighted in 1983. Oh. Game one has started. I guess we're playing game one. Uh, I gotta say, Mickey looks really good. Okay, you just went into the passageway, I think. Henry is... I'm already at 46 points. Yeah. I guess you're shooting fireballs, which really don't look like fireballs. They just look like dots. They look like tiny white dots. Yeah. Mickey, though, looks really good. Uh, it's pretty clear that it's Mickey Mouse and uh, oh, his. You can control. You can control where the fireballs go. And his sorcerer. It's pretty clear that it's Mickey in his sorcerer's apprentice outfit. Uh, and yeah, you can direct I'm the fireballs. I'm at 496. Yeah, somehow he got to 496 points already. 521. Okay, that. Okay, the um. I've got what's called. Okay, yeah, it's kind of fast. Yeah, well, you're not playing the easy game. You're playing one of the harder ones. But you're um, doing fine. I'm at 1,020. Down 35. Should I... Should I go to the mountains? Sure. Alright, now you're in the cavern. Yeah, go ahead and go back down. Now you can deal with some rooms. Yeah, if you, remember if you cover him up completely, you can stop the brooms. So he's doing pretty well with that. Keeping the water level down. Oh, water's creeping up. No. Bad room. Uh, the cavern looks good. The water looks good. The brooms look good. No complaints there. No. No, down there. Even what? never having played this game before, Henry has yet to lose a life. We're at 1,500 points. I'm going on back to the room. I think I'm starting to see what the Atari Protoss meant about this game being a little too easy. Kind of boring. Yeah, you're bored already? Eh. I'm really good at this, though. Go back. Why is it so? I'm at 1,824 points. Bad build. The uh, speed of the brooms has seems to have slowed down. Uh, now they're picking up a little bit, I guess. Because they know I'm going to get them. Because they know you're going to no! get them. No! Go back up! Yeah, for I'm some like... reason, Henry has trouble uh, staying in the cavern or the mountains. He kind of drifts back and forth. But it's really okay. I'm at 2,476. No, bad room. No! Mm. It seems like if you go in the water, it automatically puts you back up. Oh, I need to do something about the water. No. No! Okay, um. Um. Alright. Well, you're at 2,700 points almost. I think we've gotten a pretty good feel for what the game is. I mean, you, it doesn't make sense. You, you're going downstairs, but then you go to the side. Yeah. 
All right. What? So you're going down and then you automatically go up. Yeah. That doesn't make sense. I don't know that there's really an end for this game, I guess. I don't think you can actually win it. It ends, it ends when the water. Yeah. What? The water's pretty much up to the doorway now. I have a feeling the game's about to end. You're at three, almost 3,100 points. What, what happened? I think that's the, uh, you lost. Yeah, the game's over, 3,081 points, but that's pretty awesome for never, having, have, never even having seen this game before. So I think we can call it good, you don't you? Try? You want to try? I'll try it later. I think we've gotten the idea. I think for now, back to you in the studio. Hey, it's me, Bill, your host, the guy you've been listening to this whole episode. Do you enjoy the stories I write and read to you every week on this podcast, but you feel like you just need a break from my voice? I get it. My family does sometimes, too. Here's an option. Some of the stories from the show are now collected in a volume titled Misery Banana, very short stories inspired by old games and odd thoughts. You can order it wherever you like to order books. I hope you'll check it out. Thanks. We're just going to keep going, because as I said... We did the field report live for the first time in 206 episodes. That was pretty exciting, Henry. Yeah. I'm all goosebumpy. Okay, not really. Yeah. Um. I think that game. I think it's a really oh. good game. You think it's pretty exciting, Henry? Yeah, I think it's a pretty good game. But the sensitivity is really weird. How so? Because it it seems it seems like you it overdoes what you. It overdoes the movement. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, you had seemed to have trouble accidentally stumbling back onto the ladder between the mountains and the cavern. Wait, because you're going down the stairs, but then you're on, but then you're going down the stairs in one frame, but in the next frame, you're going up a ladder. Yeah, I see what you're saying. And then when you're going up, until you get to the door, when you're going up the ladder, until you get to the doorway, it goes really slow, but when you get past the doorway, it goes really fast. So yeah. I don't get that yeah, when you're I going see. back up. I mean, it's a good-looking game. Yeah. I mean, for a kid's game, I don't know. Would you play this game more, you think? Probably. Yeah. Uh, it looked kind of Maybe. fun. I might try it sometime just to see what's what. So, okay game? Not okay yeah. game. Okay, okay game? game? All right. It's story time on Atari Bytes. Yes, it's story, 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 story time with Bill. Here's the part of the show where we tell stories. Henry, do you feel like telling a story? I don't really have a story. All right. I mean, it's kind of weird. This is a game that's based on yeah, a story. And it already, yeah. It already so has a story. Really give a but story to a game that already has a story. Since that's what I do in this podcast, I went ahead and made one up. The game is called The Sorcerer's Apprentice. I wrote a story called The Sorcerer's Retirement. And I'm going to tell it. All right? How long is it? <laughs> Just long enough. You always make the longest stories. It's probably, it's probably, another, it's probably a whole other page that filled up a story. Uh oh, more than that. Mm. <laughs> uh, could you hit that button? All right, here we go. Uh, as I said, the story is titled "The Sorcerer's Retirement." The cake at Gant's retirement party was store bought. It's true the icing was personally conjured by Isabel in the spells receivable department, but the writing on top spelled out "Happy Retirement Grant" in bold red letters. Gant had worked for the company for 143 years. No one noticed the intruding R in his name. No one but Gant. He didn't say anything, though. Then, that's how things usually went around here. Gant sat back and brushed cake crumbs from his beard. In a bit of revenge, he'd managed to snag the piece with the R on it. He brushed thoughtfully at his flowing beard as he looked around at his co-workers. They were so young, it seemed. That was a cliché, wasn't it? They're getting younger all the time. 
No Gant, he thought, you're getting older. Which was also a cliché, but seemed all the more depressing for it. It was flippant, but also devastatingly true. The up-and-coming male sorcerers still wore beards, as they must always had, but they were shorter, more manicured. All manner of trimmers and oils and special soaps and whatnot were applied. Too much fuss, it seemed to Gant, was put into those beards, as it was into a lot of things. Back in his day, ugh, another cliché, sorcerers just got on with their sorcery. Evil wizard threatening to destroy the, king to destroy the kingdom? Go to work. Hell's demons bent on world domination? Send them back from whence they came. A tear in the fabric of reality? Seal that mother effer up. No need to FaceTime other sorcerers about it, or take a Twitter poll, or wring one's hands over the unfairness of the intrusion. Just grab your wand and fix the problem. That's why he was retiring, Gant supposed. The simplicity of how he got things done was out of step with modern wizardry. Ashton, a young buck no more than sixty or so, took the seat next to Gant at the conference table, paper plate in one hand, utensil in the other. Gant, man, Eshton said, gesturing with the fork like a wand, long nose, long nose pointed in Gant's direction. Congrats, what you gonna do now? Gant half smiled. Well, I suppose first I'll clean out my laboratory. Do you have any need of some magical pine cone? Eshton laughed. You still have that? I thought the regenerative properties of pine cone were debunked years ago. Don't believe everything you hear. Eshton shook his head. I guess it's just an old guard thing. The apprentices nowadays get taught more about sumac than pine. Things change, I guess. Gant shrugged. Maybe times did change. He did not. Gant reached for another piece of cake. This one had a blue flower drawn into the icing. Or possibly a bird? Eshton slid his cake plate away, no more than two bites into the first piece. I'm stuffed, he said. Gotta keep in top form, right? He patted his abs and stood, thrusting a hand at Gant, who accepted it, if reluctantly. Good luck, smooth sailing, man, Eshton said and bounded away. Gant enjoyed being with his cake a bit before Camilla approached and stood behind him. Floated, really. He sensed her presence, yes, but mostly he was caught in the haze of the many scents she wore. The smell resulting from nature's odors, stacked one upon another, was not unpleasant, just olfactorily exhausting. Hello, Camilla, Gant said without turning around. From deep within herself? All of time and space? Camilla's calm voice emanated. Gant, she said, like the wizards of Carmox, who stepped back into the light after decades in the valley, at the dark times, holding at bay the celestial spiders. You are poised upon the threshold of a new adventure. Well, really, I'm just going because the retirement fund matured, Camilla. Camilla nodded. The wizards of Carmox, too, used their resources to reshape the world left asunder by the nightmare rain that came before. What will you, Gant, do with your resources? Gant shrugged. I was considering buying a lake cabin. Camilla nodded approvingly. Real estate is a good investment. She glided away slowly, melding into the print on the wall of skydivers in freefall, holding hands above the caption, Teamwork. As she glided through the photo, Camilla put parachutes on all of the divers, which opened in a rainbow of color. The divers floated to the ground before Camilla disappeared, and the skydivers returned to their original positions. Dan considered going back to his office to finish clearing out the magical three-tailed winstrel cages. Winstrels had long since gone extinct in the wizarding world, though they were genetically prone to invisibility and clouding human perception of them, putting an asterisk next to the extinction determination. Before he could get up and go do that, Gant felt the rolling office chair next to him bump into his knee. He looked around and saw no one. From below the table, Gant heard a small voice. Please, sir, the voice said. A little help? Gant looked down into the hopeful but sort of confused face of Syl, the child wizard recently discovered holding a tantrum in the toothpaste aisle of a discount store. In her rage, cause unknown, she caused the smiling shiny faces on the toothpaste tubes to go on a biting rampage. The company recruited her right away, hoping to hone her skills for good. Syl, for her part, just hoped wizarding would stop her mom from making her take piano lessons. Little help, sir, Syl said. Gant, with a grunt, reached down and lifted Syl up into the chair beside him. Thanks, she said. The little girl glowed with the radiance of otherworldly power. Gant remembered that glow. The glow he had nowadays was more from sorcerer-grade hemorrhoid cream. What's retirement? 
the girl asked before tucking into the large piece of cake that appeared before her. Gant considered this before saying, The end of one's professional life, he finally said. Oh, Syl said. So you're dying. She took a big bite out of a frosting letter T from the cake. Not exactly, Gant said. Well, I mean, we all are, I guess. Not me, Syl said, shaking her head vigorously. I'm a lastomorph. Good for you. Lastomorphs were immortals, and usually snotty about it. It bothered Dant a little that Lastomorphs even got pension funds. Why did they need to retire? That means you'll be dead while I'm still young, Syl said. A field of tombstones illuminated with magical lightning appeared on the table, then faded away, like the wizards who lay beneath them. Thanks for clarifying, Gant said. Well, bye, Syl said, hopping down from the chair. I gots to go push back the armies of the underworld, Syl slipped away. Gant looked around and sighed. His co-workers gradually slipped away. A few dopped to shake his hand. Others escaped with a half-wave or maybe calling over, Good luck! or something. One even said, We'll miss you, Grant. But Gant was pretty sure he was lying. Gant looked around the empty room. He created a mini snowstorm from the sheet cake crumbs and bits of icing on the plate in the center of the table. As the crumbs finally settled, Gant muttered to himself, Armies of the underworld, eh? Officially, today was Gant's last day of work, but he still had weeks of paid vacation time, so technically he was still employed with the company, and there was no way that short little lastomorph Sill could even see out the window of the wizarding transport, much less repel the armies of the underworld. That lake cabin would just have to wait. And that's our show. Thanks to Henry for dropping by. Thanks, Henry, for dropping by. Oh, woohoo! Thanks to Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com for Creative Commons' use of his songs, Reformat, Take a Chance, in Pinball Spring. Thanks to Mike Mann for the Mad Mike Hughes theme. Thanks to Sean Courtney for the Storytime theme. You can find Atari Bytes on many podcatchers, which you know by now because you have found one to listen to us talk right now. But make sure you head over to Apple Podcasts and conjure up a five-star review of the show. Email the show at ataribytes2016 at gmail.com. Like the show on our Facebook page. Follow the show on Twitter at ataribytes. Or follow me personally at Carnival of Glee. Also look us up on Instagram. And don't forget, you can call and leave us a voicemail. I'm never ever going to answer the phone. So you don't actually have to talk to me. But you can leave a message at 563-265-1978. About really anything you want. I'm waiting to hear from you. Don't you dare force ghost me. That's a Star Wars reference. I'm pretty proud of that. Check out the new website, www.carnivalofgleecreations.com, for information and links to this show. And it's a podcast, Charlie Brown, my monthly show about all things related to Snoopy and Charlie Brown and the Peanuts comic strip and Charles Schultz and on and on and on. If you like any of those things, and you know you do, go listen to that podcast. If you go to the website, www.carnivalofgleecreations.com, you can also find out about books I've written, including Misery Banana, very short stories inspired by old games and odd thoughts. Uh, also, while you're considering things that I've done, please consider supporting the show financially by making a donation, becoming a subscriber on the Atari Bytes Patreon page. If you do that, become a subscriber, you might get access to bonus episodes, you can get access to episodes early. All sorts of good stuff that you can't get just by listening to the podcast uh, you know, without being a subscriber. Um, you can also still get shirts and mugs, the uh, Go Play Some Old Games They've Missed You stuff, at the ab underscore pod underscore store on Zazzle.com. It is one of my New Year's resolutions for 2020 to actually upgrade that store and put some new things in there. Um, so if you have... You should put hats in. Hats? Yeah. All right, Henry's saying hats. I will consider that. Uh, if you guys have thoughts about hats... And pencils. And, and pencils. And what? And custom paper. And custom paper. Yeah. Okay. Well, I will give those things some thought. If you guys have any ideas for what you would like to see in the uh, Atari Byte store, let me know. Uh, oh, speaking of the Patreon, I always forget to do this. Uh, thanks to my patrons. I want to read them. Uh, all right, give it a shot. Michael Taylor. Tyler. Tyler. Joe's Quasada. <laughs> Jose Caseda. <laughs> Jose Caseda. 
It's in Sean Courtney. In John Courtney. You got uh, you pronounced your name right, Sean. Cause that's the easiest one. He pronounced your name right, Sean. All right, I'm running out of notes. It must be almost be the end of the show. All right, next time on Atari Bytes. It's a 7800 game. Yeah, so we're playing Joust, and you're all like, but you've played Joust on the podcast before. Well. It's probably we, a different version. We have, it is, exactly. It's a different version. We We've, haven't played the 7800. Hey, you're stealing my thunder, man. But that's exactly right. We've done Joust for the 2600 on the podcast before in some episode that I didn't look up. Yeah, but I'm stealing your boom boom. We did it. So, But now we're going to play Joust for the 7800. Uh, you know, big leap into the future of Atari. So, so you can't say we're, co- we're copying another epi- uh, episode that we've already done, because we're not. Exactly. Thanks, Henry. You can, so, only ca- you can only call dad, my dad out. That's right. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, you can only call him out. All right. Do we have anything else to talk about? No. All right. There's only one thing left to say, then. So until next time, go play some more games. They've missed you. the end theme and we are done we out nice job henry